This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. One year ago, when we previewed the Southwest Florida Climate Summit, I opened the show by saying, quote, as, it, as each year passes, impacts from climate change are becoming more pronounced, both here in the United States and around the world, and efforts to identify how best to mitigate problems caused by environmental changes are becoming more imperative from the local level to the global level. Well, a year has passed, and during that time, Southwest Florida experienced our most devastating storm on record, and experts say Hurricane Ian's intensity was at least in part driven by our warming climate, so we know it's happening here. Today, we're previewing the upcoming 2023 Southwest Florida Climate Summit, which is taking place this Wednesday and Thursday, March 15th and 16th at the Collaboratory in downtown Fort Myers. It's hosted by the Coastal and Heartland National Estuary Partnership and is open to everyone. In the interest of transparency, I should mention that WGCU is sponsoring the summit. I'm joined in studio to get a preview by Jennifer Hecker. She's executive director of the Charlotte Harbor National Estuary Program. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having us. And Don Sheriffs is Florida Director of the Environmental Defense Fund. She'll be facilitating a panel on climate and economy and food supply at the summit later this week. Don, thanks for being with us today as well. Pleased to join you both. Jennifer, safe to assume Ian will be on people's minds at least to some degree during the summit this week? Yes, uh, we have a session devoted to how climate change has impacted Hurricane Ian, and we have some national experts who have done some analysis and are going to be sharing the results of that at the summit. I mentioned in the intro um, something that I read that was part of something you had aggregated. Can you give us a sense of like what analysis has been done that could indicate that there is a nexus between Ian's intensity and warming climate? Certainly. Um, so we have a gentleman who is a scientist at with the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. Uh, he is going to be sharing his research. He studies storms throughout the United States and has looked at how a warming atmosphere contributes to clouds becoming denser, holding more moisture, and also storms moving slower where that precipitation can really drop largely in the same area and, and larger amounts. So um, he did an analysis specifically of Hurricane Ian, and without kind of giving away the results, he determined that it was significantly increased the amount of precipitation that was produced as a result of climate factors over what would have otherwise occurred had we not already had a warming of the climate. Um, this is year three for the, for the summit. Um, have you over that time, and I know that's not that long, but have you seen a sort of pivot happening between, you know, looking at what's coming versus dealing with what's here? Absolutely. I think that the science becomes clearer every single year. We know that changes that were once theoretical or spoken about in the future are already occurring. We're now measuring those changes. We see them at the global scale, at the regional scale as well, down here in southwest Florida. And, you know, the urgency is heightened because those changes are happening a lot faster than a lot of people predicted, including climate scientists who were trying not to be alarmist, but to pick more conservative estimates. And as a result, I think people are surprised that some of these changes are occurring more rapidly than they had thought they would be occurring or were told they would occur. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we know that they are occurring and that more are likely to come. And there are things we 
can be doing to try to affect that. So that's part of the summit is to really explain that and to make the case that each one of us can make a difference in, in reducing some of these climate drivers and helping to aid resiliency in our communities. Um, it's open to anyone. You just have to register, basically. Can you just you know give us the basics of the, the event? Sure. Um, this is our third annual event. The first event was virtual um, due to COVID, and then the second last year was hybrid. This year it's going to be all in person in downtown Fort Myers, and we do have online registration, a few spaces still open, so those interested can go to chnep.org, and you'll see the registration button right at the top of the page that you can click on to register. We offer it at a nominal fee of $25 uh, per person for the two days, but we do also offer um, special circumstances for those experiencing hardship or students or any others where $25 might hinder their participation. So please reach out to us if that is the case, because we want everyone to be there. We still have spaces available. And this is a really important event for our community to learn about and engage on this incredibly important and critical issue facing us. Do you have a sense of what percentage of people are just people that are interested versus those who might be in a position, a stakeholder or something like that? So we actually know that we have a good spread right now between general public, scientists, professionals, and also policymakers. A lot of our legislative leaders are sending members of their office staff to attend this uh, event. So it's a really good opportunity to network and meet new people across all sectors of government and the public and try to figure out ways we can collaborate and work together to build more momentum and interest and funding around this issue. Are there any new topics this year or new angles on the issue that you could highlight or just maybe, you know, panels in particular that you think are most crucial to be um, witnessed? So day one, we're going to look at the latest science, what it shows is happening here and what's predicted to occur in the near-term future. So panels like regional climate stressors, climate and Hurricane Ian, and climate and economy and food supply, which is the one that Don will be moderating. Uh, on day two, we also are then going to move into what is being done by the federal, state, and local governments to aid resiliency and what citizens can do to assist and promote climate and resiliency actions, including on a personal level. So uh, we'll be covering everything from coastal and freshwater and wetland resiliency to how to protect cultural resources and how to build resiliency in our region. And so I think there's a lot of new elements. The economy and agriculture and, and the impacts to food supply is something I don't believe we've covered before. Um, but we also have covered a lot of topics that are very important that we won't have time to cover this year that are available on our chnp.org website and YouTube channel where people can access those prior videos and look at other topics as well. So every year we try to bring something new, but we also try to bring the latest information to update people from year to year who are attending um, each annual event. Gotcha. Uh, Don Sheriff, let's bring you in now. For starters, tell us just uh, a bit about your work that you do as director of the, um, the Florida director of the Environmental Defense Fund. Thanks, Mick. So we are a global organization really focused on bringing science and economic solutions forward for the most pressing uh, challenges facing our environment. And, you know, in, in Florida, that is clearly climate change. Um, and, you know, it's really, uh, important to, to know the community that you're in, which is why we have a Florida office um, that's dedicated to finding solutions that make sense for the community that we live in. Um, we are you know, excited to, to partner um, with the Coastal Heartland Estuary Project and 
and others to, to make sure that we're bringing not just the best and the brightest information and data available, but applicability. How do you come to pragmatic solutions? How can we navigate what is obviously a global problem and how do we, you know, sort of navigate solutions at a local level? And that's where I think, um, you know, the Environmental Defense Fund is, is able to sort of add value to our, our friends and colleagues that are working on, on climate policy solutions here. Hmm. Uh, so you're facilitating a panel on climate and economy and food supply. Um, can you give us a sense of, you know, what the topics are or, you know, uh, angles within it that it will be co covering? Yeah, so there's been some really, um, you know, great work done to look at how climate change is affecting us all individually. And it isn't a simple answer, right? There are health risks that increase as heat rises. There are electrical costs. We're seeing about a $1.2 billion annual increase projected for electrical costs as things get hotter and we're running our air conditioners. Um, and that's, you know, population that already pays 13 more percent for energy use than in other states. It's trying to make sure that people understand all the different ways that climate change is already impacting their lives. So one one story that isn't told all that much is what's happening with Florida agriculture. What's going to change relative to today? We have a billion dollar industry. It's a really important part of our economy. And it's looking like, you know, $25 million annually could be at risk from climate change. The Florida Tax Watch will be joining us in this discussion. They went through and looked at all of the important um, industries in the state of Florida to really assess what is going to happen. Um, and they found about 175 billion in risk by 2050. And they didn't just look at for an individual business or how you know uh, one entity would be affected, but how it changed even things like property taxes and made less money available for local governments to support schools and public safety programs. And so what we're trying to do is sort of help folks get a full picture of what the challenges of climate change are that are facing them and their families and their communities, and then try to come up with solutions like nature-based climate resilience, which helps us with things like air quality, as well as storm surge from you know hurricanes that are increasing in intensity from climate change. So we're really trying to put together um, a dialogue with community that is focused on how we can get prepared, what we can do to offset the worst of the impacts, and and move forward together instead of being paralyzed with fear. Um, I don't know how long you've been working on this climate issue, uh, Don, but, you know, I saw the Florida Tax Watch, Bob Nave. You know, it's really interesting when, you know, something, a group like Florida Tax Watch um, comes in, you know, and really starts talking about the economy of it. You know, does it seem to you like, you know, as the economy, the you know, is being affected and we have evidence to show that, that that's bringing more people off the fence who might be skeptical about the reality of climate change? Or are there still people who are skept skeptical about the reality of climate change? I think that we, so we actually did a poll on this several years ago, uh, and the outcome was that 94% of Floridians agree climate change is real. Um, so I think we've really moved past that conversation. I think the question becomes, you know, is it the most threatening thing this week, this month, or this year to my business and my family? And how do I get, you know, activated behind a solution that feels implementable because it is a global problem? I think the 
the discussion amongst the private sector and groups like Florida Tax Watch puts a, a real um, connective tissue there is, oh, you know, one of the other speakers that will be joining us is from a, an organization called Two Degrees Adapt that looks at what type of solutions could we provide for risk and changes to agriculture as heat rises and rainfall patterns change? What can we be planning ahead to try to, you know, shift crop timing or, or other things so that we can protect those impacts? And I think, you know, anyone that owns a business is, is ready to do that type of planning and the politics of climate change get far set aside because we are all focused on building a stronger Florida. Um, Jennifer, if the overall focus is shifting from preventing future impacts to mitigating impacts, what are some things that are happening in Southwest Florida that are mitigation efforts or what are the things that are being planned that you would see as mitigation efforts? Certainly. I, I definitely would say that we're still in the realm of trying to both reduce those drivers as well as mitigate their impacts. Um, we Going back to something Don said, I mean, this is affecting people's pocketbooks right here in Southwest Florida. I know personally, I live at 13 feet. I've never been in a flood zone as a result of being considered relatively high above the water. Um, but now with an 18-foot storm surge that recently was projected for my area from Hurricane Ian, I've been reclassified just in the past couple months to a special high hazard zone, which is resulting in my flood insurance rising $3,000 a year. That's put several of my neighbors into predicaments where they're having to put their houses on the market because they're on fixed incomes and can't afford to absorb that added cost. So I think that, you know, what what Don's talking about, I mean, we've moved from the theoretical to the reality that this is already impacting us economically, our quality of life. And um, and I would just say that, you know, we are very fortunate that we have bipartisan support. As Don said, I think a lot of people do recognize that this is a real issue. We see historic record levels of investment, both at the national level and at the state level right now. So that's extremely encouraging that we see that level of bipartisan support and attention and resources being directed to this issue. Um, so I think that, you know, our message is that there are lots of things that we agree on that we could advance together, and we need to focus on accomplishing those first. I mean, certainly there are other differences and ideas that we can deal with later down the line, but we need to move as quickly as we can on the things that where there's consensus. And mitigation is one of those things where there's broad consensus. So going back to your original question is that, you know, we're working right now on building living shorelines, which are basically constructed buffers that go around our shoreline to add an added layer of protection against storm surge, against wave action, um, to kind of provide an additional layer of protection in front of seawalls. Because we know when water levels really rise and drop fast during these very big, large hurricane events, we see a widespread seawall failure. We know that natural shorelines are very resilient. And so by adding back natural living shorelines in front of those seawalls, we're creating a more robust and resilient coastline. So those are things that we're working on right now. We're building a project with the city of Punta Gorda that we look forward to doing, launching this coming year. And there's many other projects like that that are out there where we have broad support and we now have resources to be able to move a lot of those projects forward. But there's just, the need is great. Um, what we have to do 
to adequately adapt and prepare and and to mitigate those risks is enormous. And so even though we're very encouraged by all these resources, we're going to need a lot more and we're going to need the public behind it to push for those resources and to push for their policymakers to continue to make these types of investments. Uh, last question, because we're basically out of time for this segment and you try to keep it short if you can. Um, is there anything being discussed in Tallahassee during session that addresses any of these issues? Do you know? Yes, I mean, the governor's budget certainly adds um, additional hundreds of millions of dollars towards resiliency this coming year. That's what he's proposing and the legislature will be taking up his Resilient Florida program. We're going to have the chief resiliency officer for the state of Florida in person with us, Dr. Wesley Brooks. And so these are the opportunities if the public can register at chnep.org and come to the event. They'll be able to meet these people and really learn from them and help to express their support for the need to advance resiliency in Central and Southwest Florida. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for this part of the show. I want to thank my guests. Jennifer Hecker is Executive Director of the Charlotte Harbor National Estuary Program. Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you. And Don Sheriffs is Florida Director of the Environmental Defense Fund. Don, thanks to you as well. Good luck with the summit. appreciate that. Thanks, Mike. The summit is uh, this Wednesday and Thursday, March 15th and 16th at the Collaboratory in downtown Fort Myers. It's open to anyone. You can find a link to more information about it and to register on our website, wgcu.org GCL. We're going to round out today's show by meeting the new Calusa waterkeeper. Cody Pierce is a local charter boat captain. He was born and raised in Lee County, as I understand it, and he has deep roots in Southwest Florida's environment. Cody, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Good afternoon, Mike. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, I'd like to just clarify real quick. I was not born in Lee County, but I've been here since infancy, so pretty close there, but I'm not a true cracker. Well, I understand not claiming that mantle because I came here as a very young child, and I will never claim to be a native, so understood. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, so, uh, did, a pleasure to be here. Did you, uh, did you grow up on the water down here? Yes, sir. So I grew up in you know part of the Caloosahatchee watershed. Um, as a young child, I was out towards Iona, and then um, later in life, I grew up right near downtown Fort Myers. So, um, you know, my entire life, you know, I've been close to the water, I've grown up with it, and uh, seen its many changes. Um, you know, I was going to ask you at first, you know, what are your earliest memories? But what I would like you to try to hone in on is, is what are your earliest memories of starting to get a sense that maybe the water that you were spending time on and the environment was not as healthy as it maybe ought to be? Okay, and I'll try to try to make that you know as as consolidated as possible. <laughs> um, so my dad has a science background, um, you know, and he he had a really good idea as as you know what was happening in the environment. So you know, I was lucky to have really good tutelage as I was growing up. Um, you know, especially where I grew up on the north end of Caloosahatchee River, that's you know where a lot of the the early dikes were made for draining. Um, you know, our uplands. So at an early age, you could see the environmental impacts, especially during the summer um, when we'd have high, you know, rainstorms and, and flooding events that it was constantly messing with, um, you know, the, the ecology of the river, both good and bad. Um, so I'd say somewhere around grade school is when that was very noticeable. You know, the river is, is um, a very diverse ecosystem, but it is very sensitive at the same time. Uh, describe your role as Calusa Waterkeeper. All right. So in my new role here, um, after years of guiding full-time, you know, I've gone from the sense of, of uh, you know, chasing trophy-style fish, you know, with my clients to now 
more so, you know, educating people on the environment, showing them what, what, you know, we really have here and the importance of saving this. So I hope to bring a lot of that enthusiasm to the Calusa Waterkeeper organization to try to, to, you know, expand our ranger program of volunteers um, to bring as much awareness to people as possible and also, you know, the positive energy. Um, you know, there are a lot of environmental factors that are going on that can be a little overwhelming, but um, I think, you know, united that there is a lot that we can do. Um, there needs to be a little bit more effort put into trying to, you know, get everybody on board and to educate everyone. And um, I'd say in the beginning part of my my career here at, at Calusa Waterkeeper, I think that's probably the most important thing is, is creating unity and, and, you know, educating as many people as possible. I was going to ask, you know, um, you mentioned your, your father had a scientific background. I was going to say the Calusa Waterkeeper does a lot of scientific work to stay on top of water issues. Um, you know, are you, are you well-versed enough to, to talk the talk in terms of scientific info? Um, at this point, I'm not. I'm getting a crash course in it from our great <laughs> volunteers. You know, I have a generic understanding. I, I'd say I have, you know, a real-world understanding of working and living in the environment. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm learning more and more as it goes, but I'm not um, up to par, you know, to, to talk, you know, real um, scientific, you know, <laughs> uh, descriptions of things. Not quite yet. I understand, and that's uh, that's okay. Um, I understand you've known John Cassani, who was your predecessor for quite some time. He's, you know, some big shoes to fill, I think, right? Yes, that's, you know, to say the very least, you know, John is an inspiration. I really thank him for, you know, his years of hard work, and, you know, he's really set the standard for our area on, on you know, environmental matters, but also, you know, trying to, to educate everyone. So, um, you know, I really look forward to, to learning more from him and, and, you know, taking on this new role. But, yes, I'm very thankful for all that he's done. Um, the last couple of years, you know, spent with John has been quite amazing. He's a wealth of knowledge and, you know, he's a real asset to this to this community. So, you know, it's really an honor to, to try to fill those shoes, and, and I hope to honor him by doing the best that I can. Uh, last question. Is this going to mean more or less time on the water for you? <laughs> well, it's going to mean more time on the water, but for different reasons. You know, um, you know, things are changing day by day here, and it's so much information to take in post Hurricane Ian. Um, you know, especially as we're adjusting to a new growing metropolis that Lee County is is turning into. So, I'd say more days on the water, but just for a different purpose now, and and it's reigniting. You know, more of a drive and an interest in in doing so. So, I don't want to miss a beat out there. All right. Well, I look forward to meeting you and talking to you more in the future, but that is all the time we have. I want to thank my guest. Cody Pierce is the new Calusa waterkeeper. Cody, thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks also to our earlier guests, Jennifer Hecker, Executive Director of the Charlotte Harbor National Estuary Program, and Don Sheriffs, Florida Director of the Environmental Defense Fund. We talked about the 2023 Southwest Florida Climate Summit that's happening this Wednesday and Thursday. Again, you can find more information about it on our website, wgcu.org gcl. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their, in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly, our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We are NPR for Southwest Florida. Mm-hmm.